0: Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did
1: podcast. Hi there. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast where you get to hear from the best minds in Bitcoin and crypto. I'm your host Peter McCormack and this week I've got an absolute monster interview. I've got Trace Mayer Bitcoin OG, investor, and host of the Bitcoin Knowledge podcast. But first, I have a message from my show sponsors. And don't just skip the ads. These advertisers pay for me to do this. Give them a listen. Check them out. So let's talk about BlockFi. You know these guys. These are my longtime sponsor of the podcast. And if you haven't listened to my interview with their CEO, Zach Prince, it's episode 51. You definitely should check it out. It's a real eye-opening interview. talks a lot about the future of banking with Bitcoin and crypto, how BlockFi are shaping things for the future. And they've just raised another $4 of investment to grow the business. So definitely check that out. Super interesting. And if you are interested in a loan, whether you're looking to pay off your credit cards or buy a house, BlockFi helps crypto investors use their Bitcoin, Ether, and Litecoin without selling. BlockFi is the leading crypto to USD lender in the US, servicing over 46 states with interest rates as low as 7.9%. Head over to blockfi.com forward slash whatbitcoindid to learn more about using your crypto without having to sell it. And have you checked out Paxful yet? My other lead sponsor right now? You definitely should. They are a proper Bitcoin company. They have the most comprehensive options for buying Bitcoin. They accept everything. Bank transfers, debit and credit cards, PayPal, Western Union. They have over 300 different payment options. They are a true peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace. They have a full-service escrow system, and they offer 24-7 support. These guys are absolutely awesome. If you trade on Paxful now, you can enjoy a 0% escrow fee on all trades done with bank transfers up until the end of the year. Go to paxful.com, which is P-A-X-F-U-L.com, and create your account now. Okay, so onto my interview with Trace. And as I mentioned in the show, there's a handful of people that I always get asked to get on the show. And look, it isn't easy. It's a real hustle to get people on. And the higher the profile, sometimes the higher the work. Trace is up there with two or three others that I consistently get asked to get on. And we've been trying for a couple of months. And with the Proof of Keys campaign that he's running right now, I reached out again and he was more than happy to come on. And look, if you don't know Trace, which I assume everyone does, but if you don't, go out on YouTube, check out some of his early videos, He's been talking about Bitcoin for a long time, and his message has always been consistent. Own your private keys, run your own node, perform your network consensus, be a Bitcoin sovereign individual. I've put some links to those early interviews in the show notes. They're definitely worth checking out. Really, really interesting. And listen, with the 10-year anniversary of the launch of the Bitcoin protocol coming on January the 3rd, Trace has started this campaign called Proof of Keys, where he is encouraging everyone on January the 3rd to make sure They take their Bitcoin off exchanges. They own their private keys. He recognizes that there are a bunch of new people who come to Bitcoin, some who might even not know what happened at Mt. Gox or some of the countless other hacks that have happened. Like if you don't know the detail about what happened with Mt. Gox, definitely go and read about that. And I've put that in the show notes as well. But we don't just talk about this. We also delve into why Bitcoin, why it's so important. We talk about Austrian economics and what the seven network effects of Bitcoin are. This episode is an absolute monster and Trace brings it hard. I gotta say, I absolutely love making this. I definitely want to do a follow up soon. And a big thank you to everyone who supports the show, whatever you do to help, whether you leave reviews, whether you're a patron, whatever you do, thank you so much. And if you want to support the show, if you enjoy what I do, there's a whole bunch of ways you can help. Just head over to my website at www.whatbitcoindid.com and there's a support page where it explains all the different things you can do. And I also want to thank my first patron top tier sponsor, Elite Crypto Consulting, your personalized trading teacher. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Okay, so on to the interview. If you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to me. My email address is hello at
2: whatbitcoindid.com, and I look forward to hearing from you.
1: Hi there, Trace. How are you?
2: Uh, doing wonderful. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, thanks for coming on. I've um, Since I've been running the podcast now for just over a year, there are three people that people always ask me to get on. There's Zabo, which I don't know how I'll ever get. There's Andreas, and then... There's yourself. And you've probably seen it a bunch of times where people have tagged you in a, a post and said, get Trace Mayer on, get Trace mayor on.
2: <laughs> yeah, everybody seems to it uh, makes the views go up or whatever. So it's a good thing, right? We have a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to start with a quote of yours, because I thought this was quite interesting when I was preparing. You said, we are the founding fathers of this digital information age, and we are laying down property rights in software code. Do you remember saying that?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I guess you're honing in on one of my core purposes for why I'm even involved in all this magic internet money stuff uh, and why I talk about it publicly.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there's always like a couple of certain interviews. There's always a couple of questions I always like to ask at the start. I did this with Adam Back, actually. And it's always interesting to see how similar and different the answers are. So first two primary questions are, what is Bitcoin and who is Bitcoin for?
2: Well, Bitcoin's an internet protocol. It enables the transfer of value over communications channel. And who's it for? I would say it's for for all of humanity. It's the greatest uh, technological innovation when it comes to sound money, hard money. Uh, and it enables trust, which on a, on a much more granular level, and so that'll increase our social scalability. Uh, that'll increase the ability for us to be able to cooperate in economic activity. And so, you know, that's, that's why I kind of think, you know, technology, it, it's a wonderful tool if we, allow, if, if we use it as such. If we allow it to become our master, then, uh, then that's not such a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you
1: talk about seven networks of Bitcoin, seven network effects. Can you talk me through those and where did that come from?
2: Yeah. So th- this w- actually came from a speech I gave at CRIPSA. And you mentioned Andreas. So <laughs> Andreas was actually scheduled to speak at this particular event. And it came time for him to go up on stage and he was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and so uh, there must have been a miscommunication or something. And so the organizer uh, saw me sitting in the, in the audience and was like, well, Trace is here. Do you want to say some words, Trace? And I was like, okay, fine, I'll say some words. And so I got up there and just impromptu, uh, I organized in my mind these seven network effects and then like proceeded to methodically uh, walk through each of them and explaining each of them kind of in in more granular detail because it it was about 45 minutes. And so for an impromptu, uh, for a little impromptu talk, I thought it turned out pretty well. And they recorded it, and it's gotten all types of thousands of views, and it's uh, been turned into articles, and it's actually influenced a lot of the thought leadership in the space. Uh, I noticed I was reading a Pantera investment newsletter a couple months ago, and sure enough, like Dan Moorhead's like talking about these network effects and talking about how it's how how he's changing investment strategy in order to kind of be more in harmony with these network effects and things like that. And so I thought that was interesting because I've taken a different approach to the space than the people like Andreessen Horowitz or uh, Pantera or Barry Silbert or some of these other people have taken, you know, I've, I've had an entirely different kind of modus operandi because of these network effects that have guided my thinking. And so, you know, that's kind of where that came from. As far as what they are, it's pretty simple. Uh, their first network effect is speculation because everybody loves to chase the rabbit. You know, the price goes up, the price goes down, like (laughs) it generates lots of page views, (laughs) whichever way it goes. Uh, that's the first network effect. Examples of companies or industries that could form in that space would be custodianship. So wallets, exchanges, uh, once people are holding the Bitcoin speculatively as a collectible, I subscribe to Nick Zabo's kind of uh, way he's approached this. Then merchants, you know, as 50 Cent likes to say, all money's money. <laughs> so, you know, a smart merchant will take money from their customer any way the customer wants to give it to them, as long as it's legal. And so uh, once people are speculatively holding the Bitcoin and it gives it value, uh, then merchants will accept it. And once merchants start accepting it, this, the third network effect, which is closely related, is that customers will start using it because merchants accept it. So these would be customers that would be using it that aren't otherwise speculators on it or hodlers. And they might use it for a variety of reasons, perhaps are in one of the 150 countries where you don't really have credit cards, uh, perhaps the merchant. For whatever reason, uses Bitcoin and they don't use other stuff, and the the customer wants the good or service that the merchant's selling enough that they're willing to go acquire bitcoins and then use it to, to buy that. Uh, and companies in this space would be, you know, BitPay. I'm an investor in BitPay. They're kind of the the merchant processor in the space. Cause this network effect is nowhere near being able to be built out. We're still just in the the very beginning of the speculation network effect. Uh, and we, we need extensibility uh, solutions, things like Lightning Network or even Chami and eCash servers on top of Lightning Network, on top of Bitcoin, you know, these multiple layers in order to really get the scalability to have this second, third network effect of merchants and consumers once we've got this kind of bootstrapped activity going on, and don't get me wrong, we have merchants and and consumers like customers using it, you know, and have been for years. It's just those are kind of proof of concept use cases. They aren't like the they aren't the millions of transactions a day type of use cases that we'll get with Lightning Network and, and other stuff. But once once this proof of concepts taken place and that's what has really happened in this first decade of Bitcoin then miners are going to come in and start providing security and this is kind of built into the economics of and the game theory of bitcoin is because you've got a, a completely fixed in amount supply and then the emission rate is going to change based on the difficulty adjustment algorithm and then the value of that is going to change based on the exchange rate between bitcoin and everything else because it floats freely um and so what this does is it incentivizes uh miners to come in and provide security. Now, speculators, you know, if they're looking for a digital gold or a hodl a hodl coin aspect, then they're going to want the most secure coin. And the miners and the proof of work is what's going to help add add to that. Because you know, we're able to look at how many cycles and how much proof of work it takes, and we can do calculations on the amount of electricity and the chance of double spends or 51% attacks or civil attacks or other stuff like that. And, and so those are our first four network effects. And the fifth network effect are going to be the developers. Now, the developers are going to be building the Bitcoin software. The most widely used implementation of that is Bitcoin Core. And Jameson Lopp wrote an excellent article on who controls Bitcoin Core, and, and it's, nobody controls it. Like, this is just a process of like creating the software, but it operates on a principle of least privilege. So the, the, the hundreds of developers that, that are working on Bitcoin Core, they operate on this principle of least privilege. And so what that does is it makes it very difficult to introduce stuff that a lot of eyeballs haven't looked at. And why do we want lots of eyeballs looking at it? Well, if you're going to make an assertion like that the that the sun that the earth revolves around the sun, you want lots of people like looking through the telescope to verify that assertion with empirical evidence. And so whenever we're making changes to Bitcoin or to Bitcoin core, you know, we want lots of people looking at it so we don't introduce bugs so that we don't. Uh, so that we don't break network consensus, so that people don't lose money, so that private keys don't get compromised, you know, all of these reasons. And so developers are going to work on that. But additionally, you also have to look at developers not just working on the Bitcoin protocol itself, but they might be working on a second layer like Lightning Network, or they might be implementing Bitcoin into the business processes of an institution that they work for, perhaps like Coinbase, you know, they there's fifteen hundred different coins out there. They only list something like 30 of them, right? Like developer resources are are scarce. And so like what what are what's the protocol that that companies are gonna integrate into their business? And this is where the developers come into play. You know, you're not just gonna you're not just gonna spend all this time and money like integrating every coin under the sun or every internet protocol, like it's got to have network effects. And I think that's vastly understated. I mean, just getting people to switch like their accounting system, you know, switch from SAP and Oracle or White Planes or TurboTax or like Quicken or whatever it is like it, th- you have these switching costs when you're changing software out and you don't want to switch for non-trivial reasons, because there could be large security implications, all this type of stuff. And then also custom hardware that might get built, like ledgers and trezors are an obvious example. But um, you know, in the custodianship range, like at Armory, we were building hardware security modules. And like there's all different types of stuff when it comes to managing those private keys and developing software and hardware to go with that and also developing operational procedures. Like we we had all types of operational procedures that came to implementing like multi-signature and Shamir secret sharing and fragmented backups so that we could roll quorums of people who are custodying Uh, keys for institutions. And so I think you can also kind of look at that as a form of developer, you know, whether it's the audit professionals or the accountants or, you know, any type type of this, like human capital or professional lawyers, you know, that are having to integrate with this because we've got dry code and we've got wet code. The dry code is obviously the, the code that developers are writing that is out there running the network. But then we've got wet code that's like between the ears Of people, And so this would be like the lawyers or the accountants or stuff like that. And so, you know, these, these are all costs that once a, once a particular protocol starts getting Mm -hmm. entrenched, it it starts raising the barriers to entry for other protocols to, uh, to compete with it. And so that's where the developers kind of come into play. And then the sixth network effect is going to be financialization. And this has kind of been all the talk in the town lately, right? Like you had a great interview with Safedin and Caitlin. Uh, I interviewed Caitlin also. We were talking about rehypothecation and, and things of this nature. Ledger X, they got approved by the CFTC, the Commodities Futures and Trading Commission in the United States to trade Bitcoin derivatives and also Bitcoin swaps a year ago. And so they've been running for a year. And now we've got backed, you know, from NICE and ICE, you uh, Lineage coming into the to the fold, Eris Exchange, uh, Fidelity, Nasdaq. Everybody seems to want to start introducing products around Bitcoin. I notice they're introducing it around Bitcoin, not Dogecoin, not Bitcoin Cash, even though that's the real Bitcoin, right? <laughs> 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 which is well, worth- which one? uh well it's the one that's worth less than litecoin (laughs) oh wait both of them are
1: (laughs) yeah well that's my point which bitcoin cash is the real bitcoin now
2: and and i mean it just shows the absurdity of like these things are determined by network consensus and by software code not necessarily by what people say right um and so financialization we've got we've got these major players i mean see it the um Ledger X is a swap execution facility in a derivatives clearing organization. You have to be an ECP under federal regulations in order to trade on them. That means you have to have $10 million of discretionary assets. This is where the big boys play. I mean, we're not talking about accredited investors. We're talking about ECPs. Like, and that's where, that's where we trade interest rates, uh, derivatives. And I mean, there is like so much money, so much money in this area with financialization. And the fact that Bitcoin has like somehow like honey badgered its way into this and has a a legitimate operating Seth DCO that's been operating for over a year. I mean, this is amazing. Uh, I, I have no idea how that that's even there. And we've got, you know, the largest 800 pound gorillas in this space, going to be launching backed probably after everybody and their dog has stacked their bags full of Bitcoin so that they can run the price up and then, you know, get everybody to chase the rabbit again and then like start selling them and taking profits. But, you know, all of these, another thing with the financialization and that, you know, I'll, I'll kind of elucidate out this point, this shows how the network effects exponentially reinforce each other. So backed, talked about how starbucks and microsoft are in on the deal right and starbucks has 15 million wallets deployed that are active users buying coffee and if they can like start having bitcoin flow through that then they can hedge the exchange rate risk on backed or on ledger x with these interest with these bitcoin derivatives you know buying puts or calls or or whatever and manage it like they would any other foreign exchange and so that and Microsoft could do the same with, you know, if they're running Fortnite transactions or who who knows what, what type of transactions they'd want to be running through this. Microtransactions are an obvious use case, like, you know, paying for your coffee at Starbucks or paying for even fractions of, uh, of a dollar on, you know, some of these video games. And so, you know, this... These, these network effects all exponentially reinforce each other, you know, so Microsoft and Starbucks, their developers are going to be working on Bitcoin integration, not Dogecoin integration, blah, 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 blah. And all of this leads to World Reserve Settlement Currency status as just one of the big network effects, you know, because money is a really big network effect. But there's other network effects that are also really big, like law and property rights and stuff like that. You know, you, we alluded to it, you alluded to it in the kind of the opening quote from me. And but I but I, I like to call it world reserve settlement currency because this is the strictest, hardest money the world's ever known. Uh, it's strictly limited in amount. The difficulty adjustment algorithm takes care of that. It's verifiable by anybody, and you can instantly verify the quantity and the quality of Bitcoins by looking at the blockchain and doing your own verification, doing your own network consensus. You know, you try to do this with gold which was the previous best technology that we, we had to do this. And you're having to pay a lot of money to assay the gold bars and melt them down and recast them and stuff like that, and then transferring them over distance. So we're talking about the strictest, hardest money that's a lot more portable. It's a lot easier to secure because it's data. You can transfer it over communications channel. It's extensible. Like, you know, this is where's Bitcoin going to go? Uh, because the world is in a very interesting space where it's rethinking what money is it's either gold dollars or it's going to be something else and if it's going to be an internet protocol it's probably going to be bitcoin because of all these reasons that i've laid out so you know there's a little bit of the overview for you um Mm. and i i guess we can we can dive into stuff a little bit further if you want
1: yeah sure so you you ad-libbed that off the cuff for 45 minutes
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, it's been rummoing around inside the head, you know, for years, but, but yeah, I, you know, that, that kind of, I, because orga- it's like, what do you want to speak about? And I was like, well, <laughs> let me think about it for a couple of seconds, you know, and I had to, I had to organize everything in the mind and I was like, okay, yeah, I think I can do something useful. And so that's kind of where that <laughs> came from. Because it, it's, it's, it's got this. what's that?
1: <laughs> You're like, I've got this.
2: Yeah. yeah, It's like, I got this. I, I'll i take care of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is, well, it just highlights like Bitcoin is so complicated. Like there is a lot going on here and people, you know, they come into Bitcoin and they play around with it for like a couple weeks and they're like, oh, I understand Bitcoin. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, you're going to get totally wrecked. Like you do not understand. I don't even understand Bitcoin. Like, and I've been playing around in this thing for almost a decade. Like, And publicly, you know, so like we should not underestimate just how complicated and how multidisciplinary Bitcoin really is. I mean, you're talking about thermodynamics with hardware. You're talking about software, computer networking, the latest advances in distributed systems, economics and game theory, which is a huge portion of all of this. Uh, You know, Bitcoin is Bitcoin's the real deal. Like this thing is not okay. It's magic Internet money. But like how do you distinguish between magic and technology, right? Like it with sufficiently advanced technology. Uh, it, you know, flashlight would look like magic to someone 2000 years ago.
1: I, I did economics at school, right? I studied economics. And at no point was I ever taught about any form of Austrian economics. I hadn't even heard of it until Bitcoin. You know, before before I just I, I talk about my life as pre Bitcoin. It's almost like pre-Jesus Christ, pre-Bitcoin and post-Bitcoin. <laughs> and so like pre-Bitcoin, I was like, well, I either vote conservative or I vote uh, kind of some form of liberal uh, labor in the UK. And and that, that's my choices. And the only form of economics is the one that is the only form of economics that exists. And then this kind of new thing comes along called Austrian economics. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's What do you mean? This is entirely different. I read Safe's book. I was like, well, where has this been? Why has this not been taught? You know, what... Can, can you help me understand? Because you you say it's been censored, right?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it didn't just come about. I mean, we're we're talking about the University of Salmanaka in Amsterdam, like five hundred years ago. Like the the tr- the lineage of of real economics as opposed to political dogma. Uh, you know, University of Salamanca, London came over to the U.S. We we've got Lockean theory that comes out of a lot of this. Thomas Jefferson, you know, th- this is not new stuff, but what, what, what is, you know, if you want to learn the truth about money or the truth about economics, for that matter, you have to learn it on your own. You're not going to learn it in a university establishment. They're going to teach political dogma. And the reason they're going to teach political dogma is because they know where their bread's buttered. Like they're, the people who got tenure, the, you know, they're, 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 they're getting money from uh, student loans. They're getting money from uh, grants, all, all this type of stuff. And so they're going to, Jump through all types of contortions, saying that the that the that the sun revolves around the earth in order to perpetuate their paycheck, you know, and and they're they're often very smart, you know, but it doesn't mean that they're right, <laughs> you know. There were very complicated models about why the sun revolved around the earth, but you know, then along comes something like Bitcoin, which has a very strong rooting in. Austrian economic theory and game theory. I mean, this is the real deal. Like look at Satoshi's birthday. If you want an example, you know, there's a reason he chose January 3rd for the Genesis block. I talked about it in 2014 in a video. Nobody else has talked about it. I haven't even seen an article written about it. There's an Easter egg for you. You know, so, so why did I choose proof of keys to happen on January 3rd? I mean, there's a very important reason for that. Uh, and it's not just the Genesis block. It goes to why Satoshi chose the Genesis block. And no, I'm not going to reveal the Easter egg. We got to go through the creative process and find these Easter eggs on our own. It, it's a lot more fun that way. And so, but, you know, that's why I have the YouTube video from four years ago. It's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> but, you know, that that's the thing about economics. You have, to, you have to really, like, get in there. And, I mean, we're talking reading books like this thick. Human Action, Man Economy and State, like Mises, Rothbard. Uh, Pieces of Eight by Dr. Vieira, you know, 5,500 legal citations in there. Dr. Vieira is, he's no slouch. He's got four degrees from Harvard, a PhD in chemistry, a law degree, practices before the US Supreme Court. Like, I mean, this is some serious, some serious intellectual foundation and understanding that you have to have. So when people are like, oh, you just got lucky with your magic internet money, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have no idea, like, the intellectual brain power. That has combusted like in this space. And it's why the developers are honing in on Bitcoin. They're not building Dogecoin. Like why, why are the Michael Jordans of, of computer science and like why are they building on Bitcoin? You know, because it's the highest mountain. Like you don't want to go somewhere because it's easy. You want to go somewhere because it's hard. You want to be the only person up there who can breathe the air. You know, and then you're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I rock, you know. So like that's that's what we're talking about. And if you want to get influence in Bitcoin, especially in the development process, guess what? Because how Bitcoin Bitcoin Core is structured with principle of least privilege, you've got to have intellectual authority. You can't just buy like influence like you can in the current fiat money system, which changes a whole bunch of the a whole bunch of the economic incentives and the human action and like what people get taught in their econ 101 classes and stuff like that i mean this is this is big when it comes to we're we're going we're going to reach reorganize the resources on this planet and we're doing it through human action and solely through peaceful means of applied financial cryptography with these distributed networks i mean this is this is really cool stuff
1: yeah okay so to help people who don't understand and it's going to be a possibly a crappy question but if you could summarize what is different about austrian economics from everything else we know like what, what are the fundamental basics
2: well we start from a different premise that humans act deliberately to bring about some ends you know and from that we we have this whole school of praxeology we have you know Because you you go you go get into like a master's in econometrics or something and it's like, oh, let's gather a whole bunch of data and like try to draw conclusions about why people do stuff because we have all this data like the data like economics is is about, you know, it's about why individuals are acting political dogma, you know, is going to try to try to draw all these conclusions from the data itself in order to justify basically their ability to confiscate through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation or due process of law. Um, But when people are acting deliberately to bring about some ends, we find that the most um, advent, like, like in order to, you you have an economic calculation problem and, and, When it comes to allocating resources. And so the institution of the state, because it's not operating in a purely voluntary manner, it's operating with coercion and force. Uh, What that does is it causes human action to change, you know, because people begin to compensate for being coerced. In different ways. And the more coercion, the more the compensate the more the compensation by individual actors. Like just look at Venezuela, you know, or any of these failed states. Like they have to compensate a lot to just survive, right? And Hernando de Soto wrote a wrote a great book about property rights and poverty. And so if people really want to be able to get lifted out of poverty, they have to have property rights so they can accumulate capital and then they can be more productive. And so when we're talking about economic calculation, you have to be able to allocate resources. And the state is not able to allocate resources in an efficient way because they don't have a profit and loss system to aid them in their economic calculation. Well, with Bitcoin, what what has happened with asymmetric cryptography in general, public private key encryption, is that the economics of violence have been changed at the tectonic level. And so now the individual is able to secure protection at a much lower cost. And the return on investment from extortion uh, is not nearly as high as it used to be, you know? And so, I mean, we have Bitcoin addresses that have $500 million of value in there and they're protected by math. You know, you have $500 million in a coal mine or something. You have to have armies and railroads and like, and all this stuff in order to protect that value. Uh, but as we move further into the information age, I think that more value will continue migrating into the digital sphere, uh, cypher space, if you will. And, and because Bitcoin, because you're able to secure that protection at such a low cost with Bitcoin, not just with private keys, but also with a unit of account that is strictly limited in amount. So it can't be, you, you can't just duplicate it. If you ever watch the DuckTales, there was an episode on the duplicator, you know, so so you can't just duplicate it like you can British pounds or dollars. What that does is you now got a unit of account that I would argue has the lowest risk profile. And so when you have an asset with the lowest risk profile, that becomes your risk free asset. And so then you have to reorient the pricing of all other assets relative to that risk free asset. So currently the risk-free rate would be, you know, 10-year treasury, right? U.S. Treasury. And that's what everybody's using for their weighted average cost of capital and like IRR and like other capital allocation decisions that they're doing. Well, like, how can you use that thing? Because the the U.S. dollar altcoin is not strictly limited in amount. We don't know how many they're going to be in five or 10 or 50 years, but we do with Bitcoin. And so, and and gold used to play this role you know because it was very hard to duplicate but now we got bitcoin so if we really do change the risk free asset then that's going to cause the pricing of all other assets to change and you know where where this gets very interesting is with chartalism versus subjective value theory or the regression theory of money that that comes out of that from uh Menger and whatnot so chartalism is does the does the Currency have value because the state says it does, or does it have value because the market values it as such? And big, you know, it's, a lot of people use dollars or British pounds or euros or Japanese yen or whatever to pay taxes, or they're otherwise coerced in some way and forced to use that particular altcoin. But Bitcoin is a purely voluntary uh, unit that people are using. And so it's going to lead to much more accurate economic calculation as a result because one it's it's purely voluntary, two it's strictly limited amount, so the the holders of capital are protected with it. Three, it's got the huge amount of proof of work going on. Uh, four, it's got the difficulty adjustment algorithm. Like all of these aspects really change so much of the game theory and, and, and as a consequence will change so much of the human action on this planet as a result. So I hope that's not too much of like a long winded answer to to your question, but since you studied economics and it sounds like you like the topic, like we might as well delve deep into it. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, do you know what I liked? I like microeconomics when we were studying more about fundamentals of business rather than macroeconomics, but you know, we were taught Keynesian theory. I left thinking that's Keynesian theory is important you know it's Keynesian theory stands up this is how our economies run and it's only since that I've met all these people I'm like no you're an idiot Keynesian theory is terrible (laughs) you need to be studying Austrian economics but like not every Austrian economist agrees is a fan of Bitcoin right like Peter Schiff I saw his debate with Eric Voorhees so he's not so what's going on there like because it feels like Bitcoin is perfect for Austrian and Austrian economists (laughs) so what's going on with some of the guys that don't agree with it?
2: yeah, so this was actually very interesting. In Palm Springs, California, I was at an investment conference. I think Bitcoin was sixteen dollars. I just finished an interview uh, with the future money trends guys. and Peter Schiff happened to be walking walking by. And I knew Peter from uh, the Ron Paul campaign. so I was like, "Hey, Peter, like you know, and so we start chatting. And since we had all the video equipment set up, we were like, "Hey, like, why don't we do an interview about Bitcoin?" And Peter's answer was very interesting. He said, well, I don't want to do an interview because you'll make me look stupid. So, so, you know, think about all the implications in that answer. If the primary purpose of somebody doing an interview is to talk about the truth or to hash out ideas or to otherwise, like, try to get better understanding for the audience, that's a completely different purpose than somebody who's doing the interview in order to to make a quick buck or otherwise improve their own reputation or whatever. And so I kind of lost a lot of respect for Peter uh, as a result of that answer and his refusal to, you know, just have a friendly chat about Bitcoin when it was 16 bucks, you know? Um, And like, I, I think, I think this is a very important point for people to understand that in this space, there's a lot of noise. And not a lot of signal. And you have to be incredibly, incredibly discerning on the people that you listen to and pay attention to and what their motives are. Uh, hey, look, I'm not selling anything. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not making a buck. I, I don't have a book I'm selling. I'm not I'm not running a fund like Novogratz. Like I just talk about this stuff for the fun of it. and because I want to help people understand the importance of holding the private keys to their own money so that we are able to decentralize money on this planet. You know, so that's getting back to kind of the founding fathers, uh, motivation on my part, you know, but, you know, I look at a lot of other people in this space and they don't necessarily have that similar type of motivation. And as a result, I would just warn people like, Hey, hone in on signal, stay away from noise. You you pay attention to people with noise and you're gonna get wrecked. You know, like go buy your mm-hmm. Bitcoin cash. Like have fun with that.
1: <laughs> Next up I talked to Trace about why it is so important to own your private keys, but before I do that, I have a message from my show sponsor, BlockFi. So regular listeners, you know them, they are the long term sponsor and they have a huge announcement that came out recently. They announced that they'd received an additional 4 million in funding, which they're going to use to expand the team, launch exciting new products, including crypto savings accounts that earn interest and crypto backed credit cards. This future of Bitcoin and banking is very exciting. Definitely check out my interview with Zach Prince to find out more about that. And I would highly recommend you sign up to their newsletter to keep an eye out future products. They are redefining the world of banking and crypto, and they are definitely worth a follow. If you are interested in a crypto-backed loan, well, BlockFi is the leading crypto-to-USD lender in the US, servicing over 46 states. BlockFi accepts Bitcoin, Ether, or Litecoin as collateral. Customers can be funded in USD or GUSD, which is Gemini's dollar-backed stablecoin. And you can go from application to funding in as little as 30 minutes. BlockFi is the best way to get US funding without having to sell your crypto. And applying takes less than two minutes. If you visit blockfi.com forward slash whatbitcoindid, you can find out more about using your crypto without selling. Do you have any interest in any cryptocurrencies or tokens outside of bitcoin. Is there anything you're interested in?
2: Yeah, I mean, I interviewed Evan Duffield about Dash when it was $3 a coin, $3 for Dash, like cuz I I found it very interesting how the master node network was set up, how that impacted the budget proposals and effectively changed how the cash flow statement works in this digital age. Like I found that to be a very interesting innovation. You know, so that's why I interviewed him about it. Um, and I like to look at other ones too, you know, like there's a C-Mix had an airdrop drop S-E-M-U-X. Uh, so Bitcoin holders got some c for free. So then I was like, whoa, whoa! I wonder what c does. And, you know, being curious, I started digging around and like looking at that and it's a proof of stake coin. So kind of don't like proof of stake for a variety of reasons, but you know, y- y- your mind has to be like a, parachute to, you know, in order to work, it's got to be open. (laughs) So if your mind is not open because you want to make a quick buck, like shilling your fund or like bolstering your own reputation so you can then convert it into whatever later, or because you want to get a paycheck being a tenured economics professor or like whatever it is, you know, I, I'm just interested in You know what I I want. I like to think that I'm interested in truth and like searching around and trying to find the truth and how it can actually be applied in a useful way to to help people like live better, happier, more productive lives. You know, that's kind of kind of my my reason for doing a lot of this. But, yeah, it's got to be incredibly important for people to hone in on signal because. Man, we just got so many charlatans and frauds and stuff in this space. And that's to be expected. It's the Wild West, censorship resistant. Everybody's got their ICO to make a quick buck. Uh, but like, don't feed them, right?
1: <laughs> well, do you think that's maybe what's different between yourself and maybe like Pantera and you know some of the other funds in that you've just steered away from the ICOs and the building a better Bitcoin kind of narrative. I think A16Z is starting to put out there at the moment.
2: Yeah, but I mean, maybe another difference is like, I actually go to the like Bitcoin developer meetups and I actually like go right. look at the GitHub repos, like I actually go look at some of the code. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these people, like they don't have a clue. You know, it's not like they've actually gone and looked at any of the code. They've never written anything. Like they've never got anything to work. Uh, in software code, they have no idea or appreciation for the level of technical brilliance that is that is happening, you know. And I mean, go look at the GitHub repo, like the issues and the pull requests and like the comments and like there is just so much going on there, and there's not going on on like anywhere else. Like Bitcoin's where it's at with the competent developers, like the people on the JV bench benchwarming squad, like they're working on these other coins. Why? Because they can't breathe on top of the Bitcoin mountain. They're not adapted to that type of an environment, you know? So, and, and you know, another another reason, I think they're, they're doing it the old way too, you know, like the, the Barry Silberts and the Panteras, they're investing in the picks and shovels as opposed to the unit itself. And don't get me wrong, I think that there are certain opportunities where you will have a positive ROI risk adjusted relative to just holding the bitcoins themselves a, d- a good example might be my Kraken investment it's up currently uh, 22x in bitcoin so you know one you, nice. you, ha- you have a good bitcoin investment you know relative to dollars or whatever but but if Bitcoin's a new risk-free asset, you got to look at all your other assets relative to that, right? And it's like, well, why invest in like some little startup? Um, well, hey, if you get venture like returns at 22X relative to Bitcoin itself, hey, you know, that, that might be a reason, right? Um, and so, you know, the picks and shovels argument, like, I do think that there's something to it, but it's hard to to just beat owning Bitcoin itself because it's an it's like an ETF over the whole space. And now with things like Ledger X, you can be an investor in Bitcoin itself and basically become a source of volatility, you know, selling covered calls. And and then you can always be acquiring more Satoshis every month because, uh, you know, you th- there, there's a time value of money, even on Bitcoin itself, you know, having the collateral locked up with these fully collateralized covered calls. What you know, your collateral can decline in value. And so you've got people on the other side of the trade that are measuring in dollars, maybe a hedge fund or whatever. But if you're measuring in Bitcoin, then you might sell a 50K strike six weeks out and collect basically a dollar per day of option premium. Now, the collateral might go from 6,000 to 3,500. So you're down in dollars, but you're still up in Bitcoin. Right. So like as as we have this transition to a new world reserve settlement currency, depending on how you measure or the lens through which you measure, uh, that's, you know, both sides might be able to win. You know, like when a year ago in December of 2017, Ari Paul bought 275 50K 2018 strikes, he paid 990,000 US for them. $3,600 3600 dollars per contract. Well, they're going to expire worthless, but he said that he sold the bitcoin in order to buy them. And so he's actually up significantly in terms of dollars because those the, the bitcoin were locked in at 1500 and the covered calls, right? And they're down to 3500. So, you know, there there's going to be a lot of opportunity to make money depending on how you measure uh, your success. And so I actually like to measure both in dollars, gold, and bitcoin you know, and so I want to, I want to see whether I'm, I'm having a, an increase in net worth in all three of those. And so, you know, I think people should definitely have like a hodl gang position that they'll never sell ever, but Hey, you know, the trading or moving into all coins or like investing in equity or like cash flowing businesses or real estate, like there, there's opportunities, uh, you know, to, to, generate or create more wealth doing that.
1: Right. So you've been I noticed on your LinkedIn you've been recommending Bitcoin since like twenty five cents. Oh yeah, yeah. Last year. <laughs> yeah. So last year, right, we're at three and a half thousand dollars now. Last year we hit twenty thousand dollars. And I was gonna ask you I was like, okay, even even with the biggest confidence in the world, did you really think this was happen? And then I uh saw something you wrote. You have like you've had like a fifty, sixty year plan. You think we're ahead of target by now, right?
2: Yeah, I do think we're a little a little ahead of target. Um, I mean, usually when you're you, you'd think when you're building stuff out like this, I mean, transitioning from the agricultural age to the industrial age took 500 years. Transferring from the industrial age to the information age, I figured it'd take like 50 to 60 years or so, and we're about halfway into it. But maybe it's things like YouTube and podcasts and GitHub and. Like all this stuff, it's just increasing the rate of change at which we're able to uh, transition into this new into this new space. And then never underestimate like humanity's like entrepreneurial creativity. Uh, I mean, just the amount of of that that's been unleashed with Bitcoin has has been it's got to be frightening to any any of these control freaks you know that are trying to trying to control everybody's uh, little tiniest action you know like with this new social c- scoring thing in China I mean that's got to be just nightmarish mm-hmm. utopian uh, Orwellian right uh, but yeah I mean I've got I've got a big plan for Bitcoin we're just in the first 10 years. I think the real miracle with Bitcoin was that we went that we went from like we went to a100 dollars. I think that's kind of the, the big miracle. But now the Bitcoin's here, like, I don't think it's going away. And since it's not going away and we've got an estimated like 35 million unique KYC AML verified users on all the different exchanges and stuff, who knows how many users that aren't. Uh, but, I mean, that's a that's a lot of people involved. You know, that's a that's a pretty good sized country. Um, and, and if you look like you go look at chain analysis and you go look at the UTXOs uh, that are between 0.01 and like 100 Bitcoin and then you look at chain analysis and like estimated, there's maybe only 10 million Bitcoins for those 35 million people. So, I mean, we're talking about like maybe 0.17 Bitcoin for each active user of Bitcoin you know, taking like backing out, you back out some of the whales and stuff and you're looking, I mean, yeah, like this is really kind of a very, this is kind of crazy, like where we're at. And yet we have, we have almost, I think we have something like 22,000 ultra high net worth individuals in the, in the world. These are people with a $30 million net worth or more. Like if each of them wanted to, to put just, a fraction of one percent of their net worth into Bitcoin. I, I think if they wanted to buy one one percent of their net worth in Bitcoin, they would need forty-four bitcoins each or something like that. Which would be all of that 10 million, right? So like the million like there's not even one Bitcoin for every millionaire in the United States, let alone all the millionaires in the world. Yep. And Yeah, so I mean, this thing is this thing is poised for like craziness because there's always enough Bitcoin for everybody. It's just a function of price, you know, to be able to actually use it, you know, in transactions or whatever. Like, there's always enough Bitcoin. It's just a function of price. And so, when like, how many of these millionaires or ultra net worth individuals want to actually hold a censorship resistant asset? where they hold the keys themselves, no advisors, no third parties. It's very portable, easily transferred without going through third parties. Like, you know, this is why they buy paintings and diamonds and like a lot of this other stuff. Like imagine if they just started getting comfortable with Bitcoin. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's it's really crazy to think about where we're at and yet where we're going to go. And why would they get comfortable with Bitcoin? Because that's the one with the network effects.
1: It's funny you mentioned the KYC AML because I'm going to jump forward because I put a note into my um, – like I prepare like a list of questions and points and things we might cover. But I was reading after the passing of Tim May. I was reading – did you read the interview he did on Coindesk?
2: No, I, I saw it, but it's kind of in the to-do list. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing interviews.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so I'll send it to you. But it's really interesting. So his quote of his in there, and I read the whole thing, but this thing he said, I can't speak for what Satoshi intended, but I sure don't think it involved Bitcoin exchanges that have draconian rules around KYC, AML, passports, freezers on accounts, and laws about reporting suspicious activity to the local secret police. There's a real possibility that all the noise about governance, regulation of blockchain will effectively create a surveillance state, a dossier society. He said, I think Satoshi would baff or at least be working on a replacement for Bitcoin that he first described in 2008 and 2009. And it's funny. So much progress has been made with exchanges and regulations, but it does, it sometimes feel a little bit antithetical to the original vision. Like, how do you feel? Cause you're somebody who's been around pretty much since the start.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this is an excellent question. So Bitcoin's decreasing the cost in terms of time, money and privacy. You know, as a bearer asset that's very portable. It decreases that privacy. Like, go ahead, try to take a million dollars of gold coins with you on an airplane. Like, good luck with that. Right. Um, And so but yeah, I mean we've got a blockchain that's immutable. Now, the problem with this is that we, we have to make a trade-off between limited and amountness and the anonymity just because of how the math works. And we don't have a formal proof for what's, what's needed. So, you know, what are you going to choose? Of course, you're going to choose limited and amountness because if it's anonymous and, and, and you're not able to prove it's limited in amount, then it could just be inflated. Right? So like when you're talking about taking monetary sovereignty, territory, I think we have to look at this like we have to be incremental, but we also have to be practical and pragmatic. And, you know, having something that's strictly limited in amount is better than having something that's not, you know, and gold is not strictly limited in amount. It's just harder than paper dollars. But both gold and like paper dollars or euros, like the physical cash, you've got, superior anonymity characteristics there. But that doesn't mean that you can't do creative things with Bitcoin. You know, stuff like open dimes, um CoinJoin, uh, you know, and then then we've also got advances like with Andrew Palestra and like memble Wimble and Grin. Uh, but you know we have to be very cautious and conservative and safe in how we move forward with a lot of these things. But, you know, we shouldn't expect, like, we. Sh- how long did the Revolutionary War in the U.S. take? Like, it took like eight years. Like, how long did it take to route the Germans out? Right? Like, I mean, we we haven't even had D-Day with Bitcoin. If, if you if you understand the analogy, like, like the Third Reich is sprawled over this entire planet you know, requiring AML and KYC and all this type of stuff. And we haven't even had D-Day yet because we only have 35 million people involved in Bitcoin. You know, maybe when we have like 3 billion people involved in Bitcoin, you know, uh, uh, imagine how fun that's going to be having proof of keys with 3 billion people. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like even if wow. we only, even if we only have 500 million of them, you know, withdraw all those keys out of those exchanges. Like, Oh, that's going to be fun. Isn't it? Like 500 million, uh, 500 million people like doing a couple transactions each with different exchanges, just to keep them honest, you know? Uh, But we
1: should talk about proof of keys.
2: Yeah, we should. It's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Well, you know what, like with what you were doing, that was when I reached out again. It's like, we've got to do this interview. I just wanted to build it up, but I'm conscious of time. And, You know, it is an important thing. So, come on, tell me, where's this come from? Like, I know I've I've seen the website, I've watched the videos, but like, what was the spark? Why have you decided to do this?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I kind of, you know, founding father, new information age. I'm in the ring, kind of like you are, right? Like, if you're gonna be in the ring, you gotta you gotta be willing to get hit, (laughs) and everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face, right? So, Mike Tyson. Uh, Fortunately, I I seem to be able to take take the hits, Uh, but you know, because I've, I've taken some hits on this proof of keys. They're like, oh, you're going to clog the network. Oh, people are going to lose their Bitcoins. No, 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 no. Proof of keys is about monetary sovereignty and personal responsibility. And what you do, January 3rd, the, the celebration of the Genesis block, we just withdraw all the Bitcoins we have on any third party on that day. Bring the keys back to the individual. Right. And. Like. Like that that's what uh, exchanges make millions of dollars a year to process withdrawals like like it's not an inconvenience to them seriously that's what that's what you pay them for the bitcoin network like if we can't handle transactions i mean that's what the bitcoin network's built to do right like if we can't like if the bitcoin network can't handle it then like it, it's not fit for purpose you know, and individuals, if they're not willing to to claim their monetary sovereignty, then they can be a third class Bitcoin citizen. You know, and if they're a third class Bitcoin citizen, they can get wrecked by Mt. Gox by like we've had over a million Bitcoins lost or stolen in these exchange hacks. You know, first rule of panics: to do it first. You know, you might as well have a combat readiness drill where you prove to yourself that you have the competence to hold your own private keys and to declare your monetary sovereignty, it's totally up to you. If you want it, come and claim it.
1: So is it for two things then? So is, is this proof of keys one for, you know, education and teaching people, all the new people have come in and reminding everyone else to own your private keys, like Andreas says. But also, is it a test of the exchanges to see if they're running fractional reserves?
2: Well, that's a side benefit, you know, that we get to right. test the test the exchanges. And their processes and everything. I mean, the exchanges should be grateful and welcoming this. I mean, we get a real live test of their systems. They've been building it. They've been trying to scale up for the last year since we had that massive uh, boom in 2017. Like, I mean... Users and transactions and like page views and YouTube views, all this stuff, it's down like 90%. So like now's the time to run a little stress test, have a little bit of fun, uh, develop a little bit of technical literacy and competency. Uh, you know, so that's one of the side effects of it is, you know, the exchanges get to get to see whether they actually are can can send the Bitcoin or not like it's bitcoin is very binary like it's it's either confirmed in the blockchain or it's not and if it's not it didn't happen because it's not in the blockchain like this is a new way we're establishing trust like that's a new fact in terms of information theory so you know proof of keys is but but proof of keys is really more about the ethos of the community like hold your own keys like, don't don't be subservient to someone else. Be your own master, you know, like grow a th- grow a spine, you know?
1: Well, it's funny, though, like I saw it. and I was like, what? you know, because I first saw the the way you changed your handle. And I was like, what is that? Like and then I saw someone share it saying that I think it was Giacomo Giacomo Zuko said he was going to do it. And so I went out and had a look and I was like, yeah, I support this January 3rd. I'm going to move everything off the exchange. And I was like, oh, hold on. I don't have anything on an exchange. I've already got my private keys. And that's the kind of key point. Like people shouldn't even be waiting for January the
2: 3rd, really, should they? Well, I mean, Jan- think about it. We, we Over 50% of the people in the Bitcoin space now weren't here a year ago. Yeah, They might not even know about Mt. Gox. I mean, they, may, maybe they've heard about it, but they definitely didn't live through it. You know, this is just this is an opportunity where you can learn from somebody else's experience, where you don't have to be the one that loses their money. Right. Like, I mean, I've got friends. They've lost. I've got multiple friends that have lost millions of dollars each. You know, because they, they haven't taken their security seriously. Guess what? If there were an initiative like Proof of Keys. And 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 there's discussion going on in the community and everybody's helpful and teaching other people like best practices and we're all doing it, you know, there's a bunch of talk going on and and you go to the meetup and you like January 3rd, you go to the party, like the the Genesis block celebration party and mingle with some other Bitcoiners. Like have some fun with this, you know, and like if you don't understand what you're doing, like ask some ask some questions. You know, that, that's, that's kind of what I see with the initiative.
1: What about the traders, though, who, like, day trade? Are you asking them to have a day off?
2: Yeah, why not? I mean, okay. like, like you know, if you don't have any, you, you mentioned, oh, I, I'm already holding my keys. I don't have keys on an exchange. You know, like, have some fun, like. Have a Bitcoin fast. Don't eat anything for twenty-four to thirty-six hours. Don't drink anything. Don't drink any alcohol. And take what you would have spent on that dinner and on that alcohol and buy some Bitcoins and withdraw them off the exchange. (laughs) Like you know, like like this is that like, and then you can be part of it. You know, like. But I mean, we should be having fun. You know, we should be having fun with a lot of this stuff. And and one aspect of having fun is is improving yourself. You know this. Like this planet that like we we have to actually go and dig up the stuff and build something like we actually have to be the creative agent, you know, and paint something we, like, you know, we have to learn how to do something. And that rewards us. You know, it, it's a lot of fun to, to it's a sense of accomplishment that you've actually been able to do something like, you know, so so join it. You know, bit, Bitcoin is mm-hmm. not about being like some lazy slug. Like there's a lot. There's a lot to Bitcoin when it comes to personal responsibility. And one aspect of personal responsibility is continually growing, continually learning, continually doing new things like finding best practices and processes and all of this stuff. And and so, you know, I look at proof of keys kind of in that sense. You know, one, we're learning how to hold our own private keys. But two, we're also doing our own network consensus. And this is often overlooked but if all of these withdrawals from centralized third parties and we're doing our own network consensus as an individual, that's going to greatly strengthen the Bitcoin network and its decentralization because we've got transactions that have economic substance to them. You know, so we, we've seen we've seen vested interests attack our monetary sovereignty with things like and we had to respond with things like BIP 148 and user activated soft forks and. Uh, and no two X and stuff like this, you know? So we have to, if we want our monetary sovereignty, we have to be very vigilant in protecting it. So instead of waiting for the next battle where, you know, the, the Bitcoin generals, you know, try to call out a bunch of couch potato, flabby couch potatoes that have never held their private keys themselves. Instead, let's, let's do some drills. Let's get combat ready to be able to hold our own private keys. Let's be a, let's be an army of 35 million people that are all competent with this and are all running our own full nodes or at least have the capacity and the know-how to do it and have done it at least once a year you know and keep those skills sharp that that's kind of how i look at it
1: all right so let me uh let me throw a couple of things at you responses i've seen by the way i support it i've changed my handle but um (laughs) the the first the first one is somebody said this might be an opportunity for a trader because actually, if all the Bitcoins are taken off the exchange, the prices might go up
2: or it might go down <laughs> or maybe an, or maybe an exchange will fail. And then that trader is going to lose like all their money that's on that exchange. All right. I mean, that that's part of the risk is like catastrophic failure is the biggest risk to traders. And so, right. I mean, I, every day is an opportunity for traders like whatever, you know, like, okay. I mean, that's how I kind of look at it like. And, and if if you if you want to be on the exchange and trading on January third, then withdraw your keys on January first and see if they actually send them, and then see whether you can send them back or not. <laughs> I mean, right. this is this is much more a personal thing than it is a trying to hurt or damage any particular type of exchange. And I'm probably not even going to be. I I mean, I'm not going to be trading at all on January third. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be at a like a kind of a bitcoin party so i mean i'm gonna be Where's having fun. uh new york city yeah we got a we got right. a big old uh, uh coin is organizing some type of a some type of a little shindig and invited me to it and i got a bunch of bitcoin friends in new york so i figure ah, I'll go after that you know uh and i don't really yeah. trade much to begin with but um you know th- this is this is much more about fun and i think i think any of these red herrings that are trying to persuade people not to hold their own private keys and not do their own network consensus. Like, you know, we do not want to, we do not want to keep people in ignorance. You know, knowledge is power. Like anybody who's kind of trying to disincentivize you to not claim your own power, Oh, man, you got to be very, very suspect of their motives. You know, like, I mean, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to give you stuff that makes you You know, this is about helping empower you like you, you empowering yourself. Like, what do I gain from that? You know, I gain an army of Bitcoiners that that are that are a lot stronger, you know, uh, with their monetary sovereignty. Um, But. You know Anybody who's, who's trying to persuade you not to do that, you really have to question their motives. Why do they want to keep you weak and ignorant?
1: All right. So let me tell you the other one then. So my dad, for probably for 40 years, no, because I'm 40, probably 30 years, I've had to fix everything technical for him. He lives in <laughs> Ireland, right? He lives in Donegal. <laughs> and every time I go over there, it's like, I can't get my Netflix to work. I can't get, like, whatever it is, right? Like, Bitcoin should be for him. There is no chance ever that he could ever understand his own private keys. There is a higher risk with him managing his private keys than using Coinbase. So what do I do about my dad?
2: Oh, well, there's uh, that, that's a very interesting question. You know, if somebody wants to remain a slave and has no initiative, to claim and become free and independent. Well, they've already lost. I mean, they're choosing to be a slave, right? And so... Oh, no, you
1: don't know my dad. Like, I've sat there with... I tried to teach him to use, um, like, one of the password managers. So he didn't have lots of different passwords. He just he, he just goes way beyond him.
2: If people <laughs> have a sufficient desire, they'll figure it out with their mind. If they really want it bad enough, you know, like it, And that's one thing we notice that like, it's really our emotions that drive what we then think about, you know, it starts in the heart, moves to the mind and comes out into our actions. So if you have a strong enough desire for monetary independence and for personal power and, and stuff like that, then, then you're gonna, you're gonna hone in on Bitcoin and you're gonna hone in on holding your own private keys and your own verification because you don't want to be a slave. But guess what? A lot of people, they're completely content being slaves. So what do you do about that?
1: Like, I'm going to play this for him. I'm going to play this for my dad. I'm going to tell him he's a slave, and by by staying a slave, he's making me a slave because <laughs> <laughs> I have to fix this for him.
2: <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I don't know that I'd I'd necessarily have to fix it for him. Mean, it's just like, well, you know, don't expect me to to take care of you in the <laughs> in your old age when you when you refuse to even do anything to take care of yourself.
1: all right so the other thing i wanted to ask you about is you you probably more than almost anyone i know encourages people to run their own full node and run their own network consensus like more than anyone i hear you talk about that this that is definitely another level of technical skills you say like first class citizen you own your private keys you run your own node right second class i would say I'm second class, but I'm I've ordered a casa node, so I'm I'm making the journey.
2: <laughs> You're making like if I inter- taking some steps.
1: Yeah, it's- taking the steps. I will be a, f- a first class citizen by Christmas. But say if my my friends, there is there's no chance I'm going to get them to run nodes. They just they just won't getting them to even buy some bitcoins. Getting them from third to second is hard <laughs> enough. So tell me why they or anyone else should should care about becoming first class and why they should run their own node.
2: Well, on the proofofkeys.com website, I have the uh, the link to the warning from Bitcoin Core about uh, how Zappo and Coinbase and BitPay, uh, we're going to run a different node consensus software. And so you might think you have a a Bitcoin on Coinbase, but they might just rename it Bitcoin Cash and like, now you got that thing. And it's worth a fraction of what a Bitcoin's worth, right? Like that. that's yeah. part of the reason is like i want people to know exactly what they what they buy and exactly why they're buying it like i don't want any obfuscation i don't want any fraud i don't want it like i want people to have some serious conviction you know when it comes to uh when it comes to this stuff and part of that part of that conviction comes from knowing that you're the one that's doing verification yourself you're not trusting anybody you're verifying you know, running a full node and, you know, you want to take it to another level, run a full node with a satellite. That way that your ISP doesn't even know that you're running a full node. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, there, there's always something to be reaching for in terms of your personal growth when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, if people don't want to grow like. That's just the way it is, but they shouldn't expect to get the benefits That come from that personal growth. You know, like if if you're not in the in the gym, like moving the weights, and then, you know, your girlfriend asks you to, oh, can you move that hundred pound sack of flour or whatever? And you can't lift it because you're just like weak and flabby and stuff, like you know know what I'm saying? Like you have to you have to put in the work in order to then be able to do stuff. And so if you can't do stuff, like I guess you can be jealous of people who can, (laughs) right? But this time it's about the money. You know, we're, we're talking about you get to be jealous of people like having the really nice penthouse condo or the really nice house or like flying first class on the airplanes or flying in the private jet, right? Like this is about the money.
1: Right. Okay. Conscious, we've done our hour. We could have. I could have already done. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could have could. done ages. And do you know what? I'm going to save some of it because I'm going to go to Toneve's conference, and you're going, aren't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the plan.
1: Right. If you're there, I think we should do another one, but do it in person.
2: Yeah, we can do that. We can yeah. do that.
1: Okay. So listen, look, January third, proof of keys. Like any final message.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Trace Mayer. I got the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where I interview top people in the in the space, and. You know, get get in there on the proof of keys, get on the battlefield, hold your own private keys, have your own full node, like grow a spine, have some like personal power, be free and independent. You know, like that's what this is about with with your money.
1: <laughs> this has been awesome, Trace. Absolutely loved it. Everything I expected. Uh, thank you so much.
2: Glad Glad to be here. Thanks. Keep up all the good work you're doing.
1: Okay. So what did you make of that? How cool is Trace? I love his energy. I really, really love making the show. I definitely want to record with Trace again in the future. I've got so many other questions and topics I want to get into with him. So do you own your private keys? Do you know what happened at Mount Gox? Are you aware of the countless other hacks? If your Bitcoin is on an exchange, you are at risk. Seriously, go and check out Trace's Proof of Keys website. It's at proofofkeys.com. There's a link in the show notes. Go and see what he has to say. If you're keeping your Bitcoin on an exchange, you need to think about that. You need to own your private keys. Get your Bitcoin off the exchange. And also, look, consider running a full node. It isn't that complicated. I've put instructions in the show notes. If you go and search on Google, there are so many people who have provided instructions on how to do this. I'll add that in the show notes. But if you want to run a full node and you also want to start looking at Lightning Network, maybe even consider a Castle node. Anyway, links to all that in the show notes. Go check it out. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And also, thank you to everyone who supports the show. Whatever you do, whether you leave me a review on iTunes, whether you're a sponsor, everything you do to help the show helps me keep this going. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And listen, there's a whole bunch of things you can do to help. If you've not done anything and you think, yeah, I like what Pete does, I want to help him, there's so many things you can do. Firstly, you can listen to the ads. Just not skipping the ads helps the show. These advertisers pay because they want exposure. So if you listen to the ads, you check them out, you're helping the show. You're helping me in future get other advertisers. So think about that. You can also become a patron. I've got 55 now. Absolutely mad. I'm so grateful to every one of you. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash did, you can sign up there. Maybe you just want to spend the five bucks a month and get the ad free version, which comes out early. Anyway, check that out. Also, I've had a couple of people recently want to become a patron, but they don't really want to use Patreon. So they've paid a subscription for the year in Bitcoin. They sent it over and I emailed the early version of the show without the ads to them. If you're interested in that, then just feel free to email me. You can become a sponsor. There's been a lot of interest in this lately. Thank you so much. I'm pretty much sold out for the rest of the year. January's nearly sold out. February onwards, there's some slots. If you're interested, give me a shout. The show's growing so fast. Just email me on did.com and we can organize a call to discuss it you can leave me a review on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, find my podcast, click on the review button, leave me a review. If you think I deserve five stars, that's awesome. If you think I deserve one star, that's not so awesome, but you know, whatever. Leave me a review. You can click on the subscribe button. That helps with my listing in Apple. So do that. You can follow me on social media. You probably know where I am now. I'm at what Bitcoin did on everything, although my Twitter handle is at Peter McCormack. But you can find me on Medium, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, you can check out my website, loads of useful stuff there. That's www.whatbitcoindid.com. You can sign up to my newsletter, although I've kind of paused the daily newsletter at the moment. And it was too much work. So sorry for anyone who enjoyed that. I'll be rethinking that in the new year. And also, you can share the show out with your friends and family. I see it every time it happens on Twitter. Thank you so much. Okay, so Christmas is coming. I'm not closing up. This isn't the last show of the year. I'm carrying all the way through. I've got a couple more really interesting shows coming up. I've got Mike Dudas from The Block talking about crypto journalism. And I'm also doing a review of the year with Marty Bent, one of my absolute favorite podcasters. So many exciting shows coming up in the new year as well. Really excited about what's coming. So thank you, everyone. So far, who helps with the show. I hope you all have a cracking weekend. I hope you get all your Christmas shopping done. And if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to me on hello at whatbitcoindid.com.
0: Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.